in heaven. But based on this title, we might be thinking about having theological discussions with people, debating theology. But I think that theology is a little more personal. Theology is something that you deal with and wrestle with on the inside. It's how you live your life, right? Your theology guides the choices you make. Theology can happen internally. How about this? Have you ever had a moment where your eyes were opened to something you didn't realize beforehand? Something new and that changes the way you see things. I don't want to distract you for the rest of the service, but this one only took me a few minutes. So an eye-opening experience. Did you ever realize that your nose is almost always in your peripheral vision? It might bug you for a few minutes, but I think the worst feeling is realizing you've been looking at your nose your entire life and haven't realized it. So now you can stop looking at your noses. But maybe this kind of eye-opening experience affects you a little more. It makes you see somebody you know in an entirely different light, not just your nose. Maybe it's that moment when you realize just how loudly your spouse chews. Now, this isn't autobiographical, but maybe you've known someone for a long time. could be your spouse, your siblings. And then that day, you realize how loudly they chew. And then you can't unrealize it. Every time you're eating with them, you're going to think of it again. Your eyes have been opened to something you didn't realize before. Now, I hope I'm not getting in between anyone. But this kind of thing happened to me not too long ago at school. I had a professor who I really liked. I could go and listen to him for hours. He was a smart guy. He was very engaging. And so one day I was on my way to class and my friend stops me. And he says, are you going to count the A's? And I was very confused because I didn't realize this guy was Canadian. And he wasn't. It turns out my friend went on to explain that every couple of sentences, this professor would end with a resounding, eh? as if he had a specific sound, his own little word for a question mark. Eh? And I think you can agree, once you realize this, it would be kind of annoying, huh? <laughs> and so then, that whole class period, I started counting. And I think he got to 42 in a 50-minute class period. And we were doing group work for most of it, so he wasn't even teaching. This guy was on fire. Eh? <laughs> but maybe this kind of eye-opening experience is something better. It doesn't just make you see somebody else in a different way. It might make you see yourself in a different way, in a more beautiful way. For me, this was experiencing forgiveness for the first time. I knew I was forgiven. I knew what forgiveness meant. But I would still carry around my sin, my guilt, the things I didn't want anyone else to know. But then I met someone who I could tell my sins to, who I could reveal my guilt and open my heart, and then it played out right in front of me. I was given God's Word and forgiveness freely. I felt what it meant to be forgiven. I saw myself not as the sinner I am, but as God's dear child who loved me. It opened my eyes to a more beautiful reality, a better thing that I didn't see before. I just saw myself as a sinner. But I can also see myself 
as God's own child. Maybe for you, it's the first time you found someone who loved you just for who you are. You grow up in a family that loves you and cares for you, accepts you. And then you try making your way in the world only to find out that the world is not as kind and as caring as your family was. You make friends, you try to make your way in life only to realize how lonely you feel. But then someone tells you they love you just for who you are. And you can share your life with them. That moment can open your eyes to a more beautiful reality. Something you didn't see before. And that's what we see here in our lesson from Acts. We see that kind of eye-opening moment when somebody realized something that they didn't know before. Something more beautiful and better than they thought was true. In the book of Acts, we see this happen through a theological conflict. We have Peter and a group of Jews. And we see how first they deal with that conflict on the inside as they wrestle with what God is telling them. It starts personal. It opens their eyes. And then it results in this. The apostles and believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. So we have Peter. He's a believer in Jesus. He followed Jesus around. He was his disciples, right? He knew who Jesus was and he believed in him. And the same is true for this group of circumcised believers. They were not like the other Jews who rejected Jesus, sent him to the cross, and then continued to reject him, not accepting that he could save them. Not true for these. They understood who Jesus was, what he meant for them. But they still are called circumcised believers. Now, I understand this is kind of an odd title uh, for any group of, or any religious group. But the author is trying to tell us that these, that these people also held on to the Old Testament beliefs. They knew who Jesus was, but they also knew God's commands, every single one of them in the Old Testament. And they wanted to hold to them. God gave them, and so they should be followed. So they come up with two charges. Peter, you entered the house of an uncircumcised man. You just went in. That was wrong. And you ate with them. And so Peter goes on to explain exactly what happened. He's answering these charges. Starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to where I was. I looked into it, and I saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds. Then I heard a voice telling me, Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. I replied, Surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. Now, what's Peter talking about? He's referring um, to Old Testament laws found in the book of Leviticus. There's a whole chapter just dedicated to what the Jews could and couldn't eat. I'll read you a couple here that um, pertain to what Peter saw. Of all the animals that walk on the all fours, those that walk on their paws are unclean for you. Whoever touches their carcasses will be unclean until evening. Of the animals that move along the ground, these are unclean for you. The weasel, the rat, any kind of great lizard, the gecko, the monitor lizard, the wall lizard, the skink, and the chameleon. 
reptiles. Of all those that move along the ground, these are unclean for you. Whoever touches them when they are dead will be unclean till evening. God had very specific commands for the Jews, and they followed them. This was just part of their culture. It was part of their DNA. They passed it down from generation to generation, and they just stayed away from these animals. It's like you or I wouldn't eat cat and dog or horse. We just don't do it. It's not part of our custom. The same is true for these Jews. It was odd for them to eat these things, and on top of that, they would be unclean if they did. And so Peter is telling this group of Jews that he understands, he gets it. It's part of his DNA too. This first part of his story reveals that. He tells them that he was in a trance, saw a vision. Now this was really God speaking to him, but he was telling them he was confused too. He was even able to say, nothing impure or unclean has even entered my lips. It didn't even get close to his mouth. He didn't mess around with these animals. Finally, he's even able to say that he told God no. God came to him and told him to disobey these laws, that it was okay for him to eat these animals. And he looked at God and said no. But then the voice came a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and then it was all pulled up to heaven again. Right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them, Gentiles. These six brothers also went with me, and, were enter- and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and your whole household will be saved. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us in the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Peter got the Old Testament laws. He lived by them. But this was the very charge that was brought against him. He went into a Gentile's house and he ate with them. Just like those food items were unclean, Gentile houses were unclean. They ate unclean food. Going into them would be breaking the law. But even though Peter grew up with these laws and obeying them, he went right in. What would cause him to do that? What causes someone to go against what they believe, what they think about their life? The Spirit of God. God specifically came to Peter and told him his will, what he wanted him to do. And so Peter went in. It was almost as if he was just an observer of this culture-changing theological event. So he goes on to say, So if God gave them the same gift He gave to us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? Let me read that again. Who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? Do you see it? Peter's eyes were opened. 
He had that glass-shattering moment when he was able to see a beautiful reality. Something that he didn't see before, but that God had to reveal it to him. He now understood that he was pure through Jesus and his blood, not through anything he did. He now understood that God's word was for all people. And without hesitation, he could go to the whole world and tell them that they are saved. Peter's eyes had been opened to a more beautiful reality. But let's not miss just how much God had to work at Peter, work at his heart and show him this new thing. God came to him, not once, not twice, but three times in a vision, telling him something that went against all his beliefs. The Holy Spirit himself came to him and told him to go without hesitation. Peter remembered Jesus' own words while he was still with him. As Jesus opened, began to open his eyes to these new things. And I think we get that, right? We're right on board with Peter. If God came to us, the Holy Spirit and His Son, Jesus, told us to do something, we would believe too. Theology is God's. But what amazes me even more is that group of circumcised believers. When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God saying, so then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. They had that moment too. Right after Peter's short story, their eyes were opened. All it took was Peter's words to open their minds, change their hearts for them to see this new beautiful reality. How amazing is that? Right when he said it, um, finished his story, the Greek literally says they were silent. They had no objections and they praised God. Think about that. Silent to their own beliefs because they had seen a new reality and praising God for how beautiful it was. Now we see this story unfold. We see their eyes open to a beautiful reality that God's Word is for everybody. That they are not bound by these Old Testament laws. And we're right with them. Right? We stand with Peter as he accepts that he can tell God's Word to the nation no matter their race, no matter what they look like. We're with that group of Jews. We stand silent when God comes to us and tells us His Word and we praise God for how beautiful that is. That we are saved. Our eyes have been opened. God has worked on our hearts to see this reality. And as we study God's Word, we see it more clearly. But I think that theology is not just understanding this beautiful reality, but there's a second part. A part that's more difficult. I think that once we understand this, we also have to live it out. And that's the second part, living God's theology. And that's more difficult. That's the more difficult thing. When I leave church today, after hearing God's theology, rejoicing in it, do I see myself living out God's theology or Micah's theology? You see, sin 
and our own human reason has dug a path in our life, has dug ruts in our lives that are deep. It's like the Old West when the wagons would travel down the trail and dig ruts and once you got in them, it was almost impossible to get out unless you stopped. You see, God has shown us a new path, a different way that leads to life. But those deep ruts of sin are so easy to fall back into. And I think we can do that in a couple different ways. What are your ruts? What trenches has sin dug in your life that you find yourself falling back into even after you've heard God's new reality, after God has shown you His gospel? Do you struggle like the Jews did with being exclusive, guarding God's Word? You've come to faith. You know God thinks of you as a special person, but then do you see yourself looking down on other people? Not out in the open, but in private. Do you see yourself not sharing God's Word with everybody? After all, I don't want to be in heaven with that murderer, that sexual offender. Haven't some people used up their chances? Is there any hope for the homosexual or the drug addict? Your eyes have been opened to a beautiful reality, but then you might start to keep that to yourself. Exclude yourself from other people just because of the faith that you have. Forgetting that God had to work on you in the first place. That you were a sinner. Or are your ruts something else? Do you struggle with some of God's teachings? You know God's truth, God's gospel, that you're saved. But as you read more and more, you struggle with the things God says. Creation. Jesus' miracles. God's wrath on unbelieving nations. Commanding His special nation to wipe out others. Do you find yourself picking and choosing what God says? Things that just sound good to you. Soon you start writing your own theology. You start making your own rules using your own reason to try to explain the things God tells you and the whole time forgetting how unreasonable it was that God chose you, His enemy, and worked on you? Or is your rut a certain action? A certain sin that you commit? You hear God's Word. You hear His love for you and you also read His law. You understand it. You know what you should do and what you shouldn't do. And yet time and time again, you see yourself falling back into that rut. Is it alcohol? Pornography? Recreational drugs? Anger? You know God's love and time and time again, you fall. You fight and you fight and you fight. And then you find yourself writing your own theology, excusing things and telling yourself you can make it on your own. You forget God's beautiful truth. And even though we understand this truth, we find out just how hard it is to live out. When you heard the title of this sermon, you might have thought, oh, it's like Martin Luther. They're right. No, they're wrong. We're right. We know God's Word better than they do. 
But as you strive to live out God's theology, you see just how opposed your sinful nature is to God's Word. You find out just how much of an internal theological conflict you have. But don't forget that the God who worked on you in the first place to open your eyes to this beautiful reality is also with you as you strive to live out that theology. The Holy Spirit continues to work on you and me, beating down that sinful nature, that theology you write for yourself and giving you God's theology instead, feeding you with God's Word. And we know that through God's Word, God Himself speaks to us, gives us His love, tells us we are His own dear children. And finally, God's Word tells us about Jesus and the cross where we see God's theology come together. Where we see a man who is able to live out God's Word perfectly in our place. For all the times we fall back into that rut, He did it perfectly for us. A theology that took Him to the cross where He died to pay the price we could never pay. Where He died to ensure that God's beautiful truth is real for you and for me, both now and forever with Him in heaven. That same God who opened your eyes continues to be with you today. I hope that today has been an eye-opening experience for you. As you see God's truth more clearly, and as you discover how hard it is to live God's theology out. Until you understand that truth, and until you understand just how hard it is to live, you can't even begin to have a discussion with someone else. Only when you understand God's beautiful truth can you share it to someone who needs it. Only when you know how hard it is for you to live God's theology can you have a discussion with someone else who may have it wrong. Theology is God's. And so, let us marvel at this beautiful truth and let us be comforted as we seek to live it out. Amen. We pray. Dear Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you for giving us your words. Thank you for opening our eyes to your beautiful message. We ask that you be with us as we struggle to live it out, that we may reflect your theology and your beautiful truths. In your holy name we pray. Amen.